You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Changing Reality. We're so excited to have you all here with us. And for any new uh, viewers or for all of you who may not be so familiar with the show, Changing Reality is actually a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are in essence changing the reality around them. So we hang out with uh, social change makers, entrepreneurs, top industry leaders, um, thought leaders, business owners, to even artists and musicians and inspiring individuals from across industries and across the world too. And we get to hear the, these inspiring stories of how they change their reality um, and many of them from how they started. So today's guest, spoiler alert, actually was a student here on the Penn campus as well. So that's gonna be especially interesting. And I wanted to do the show simply because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm passionate about learning how those people change the world in their own capacities and how we can learn from their experiences to take away the lessons that enable us to do the same. And I've believed in this power of stories in everything that I do. Even personally, I actually founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that works with organizations like um, our Malaysian Ministry of Education to international collaborations to help provide alternative education platforms for any student who wants to change their own reality. So for students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, experiential learning activities, projects and programs that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them and start their own careers while they're still in school that creates meaningful impact globally. And we've been lucky to work with over 15,000 students in 970 communities and have incubated countless number of student-run projects and social enterprises by students aged 8 to 25. And all of that came from the powers of stories. And it's the inspiration of hearing people that we would otherwise not get the chance to talk to that inspires them to do that in the first place. And just to show how far it's taken us, we're actually having a conference in September for any viewers who are interested, because this conference that we're having in September welcomes over 50,000 students to the work that we do, um, with many of the organizations on campus actually joining us for it as well. And the best part is the speakers of these conference who are sharing their stories are all Gen Z entrepreneurs from across the world. So 10-year-olds from Tanzania who run their own social enterprises, or 15-year-old activists from the US who work with legislators to shape policy. And by sharing those stories, we hope that each of you get inspired to change the world in your own capacity. And just like that, that brings us to Changing Reality here, a show that is brought to you weekly with that same objective. So if you have any questions about the show, any suggestions of topics, things that you guys want to talk about it, do drop it in the comments below and we'll take a look at it for our future sessions as well. But today's guest speaker is someone who is absolutely amazing and is an experienced uh, strategist, consultant and thought leader in the field of the health and sciences. So she has, uh, so she's someone who personally, um, for many of you who may know her or have uh, tuned in specially to hear her story, um, she's actually someone who leads Accenture's North America Health Practice. And this practice consists of over 500 profes uh, professionals serving the largest health systems, physician organizations in the United States. And as someone who uh, previously was even one of the founding members of other ventures by Accenture, such as their growth strategy practice, and also led their MA businesses, uh, she actually is someone who's got so much experience in not just the healthcare industry, but also 
uh, mergers and acquisitions of high technology telecommunications industries. And she's also a brilliant um, thought leader in this field who, who holds three patents, has authored over a dozen external published articles, and even lectured at, um, on MMA and business uh, transformation at, North, at the Northwestern University's Kelly Oaks Business School, as well as the University of Georgia's Business and Law Schools. So as I mentioned earlier, she holds an MBA from the Wharton School as well, and is someone who I can't wait to hear a story. So without further ado, let's bring on to our virtual stage, Kristen. Harsha, thank you for the introduction. That was quite the uh, uh, overview of my background. I would also say I'm all, uh, also a proud mother of two uh, new college students. And as I was telling you before uh, we went live, I spent the last week moving two kids into college. And uh, so it, it's been an exhausting and uh, interesting week. And now I'm officially an empty nester. So uh, it's, it's, it's a new chapter for my husband and I. But it's great to be with you. Well, thank you so much for making the time. I know all of us have been going crazy, even me with the new semester starting. So it's we really, really appreciate you being here with us. And just to start off, in a sense, the whole idea of like, like, like changing reality is to hear the stories of successful individuals such as yourself, so that us lost college students who right now are entering campus after a year of being additionally lost compared to our original state, um, like get some inspiration on um, what the future holds and hopefully find out in the process that there's hope for us. So maybe we could start off the interview by um, with your journey in a sense. So you are someone who is a leader in this healthcare industry. Um, again, hundreds of people look up to you, not just I'm sure at Accenture, but all across the world. I'm sure thousands actually listen to the research and the work that you do. But where did all of this start in a sense? Were you someone who knew exactly what you were doing as a kid and always wanted to be in this industry? Or was it a bit more of a confusing journey like the rest of us? You know, it's interesting. It was a little bit of a journey, and I think that's why I actually started in healthcare or started in consulting. But I will say that, um, and for you, you mentioned when you and I were talking earlier, I actually found my way back to healthcare. I, I was um, the granddaughter of a small town physician, and I used to spend quite a bit of my summers working in his clinic. Um, in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania, which is about 45 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. And so I really got to see um, healthcare really up close at a young age and um, always was inspired by the way in which he interacted with his patients. In fact, um, people used to say he, gener he, he delivered two generations of, of family, of, of children in that um, community. And so he really had a personal relationship with them. And uh, so I did always kind of find myself uh, getting back to healthcare. And then when I came back to Wharton, I really solidified my passion and, and was in the healthcare management program. But for the for your listeners, I would say um, this is this is an unprecedented time. Um, you know, there is so much opportunity. And while I know um, the last year has been challenging and difficult, I I recently was with actually friends of my daughter who's a senior. Um, in college. And I said, your generation is going to be so innovative and so impactful in the future because you've seen so much change and so many conventional wisdoms are being challenged. The way in which we're engaging in work, the way in which we're thinking about new ways of uh, being educated, um, the, the ways in which technology is playing a role 
Um, and certainly healthcare is profoundly changing. Um, and that is gonna be introducing lots of opportunity for innovation. And um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about what, the, what your generation is going to do in the workplace. Well, you are way too kind and like, it's really nice to actually hear that because again, like we're all back from a summer of um, a little bit of confusion, like the recovery from the pandemic has been good with some places in others, like for me, um, still at home in a sense for the foreseeable future. So I think it's a mixed reaction everywhere. And I think hearing words like that actually do make the world of difference for us. And like, thank you so much. And we'll touch a little bit about how healthcare itself is changing later, sure. but like for you in a sense, I feel like the biggest change is that leap to college and that picking what you want to do and exploring the world out there. You mentioned that it wasn't a linear part to healthcare and you tried a bunch of different things before you eventually went back to that. So when you were deciding, what did you kind of like, um, what did you consider in a way like going into college, even when you were doing your BA? Um, I, yeah, I think you also did a, a bachelor's in healthcare management or was, was it in some No, way? I was actually undergrad. I went to Vanderbilt um, and I, um, I actually played tennis at Vanderbilt and then I was a oh. major in mathematics um, and political science. So actually, in full disclosure, I went into undergrad thinking I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, so I you know, uh, was focused on my political science major, um, but I was, I loved doing, I took some early math classes and I was good at it. And fortunately I had a professor who encouraged me to continue to pursue that. So I dual majored and I, I actually am really happy. I kind of feel like I got a left brain, right brain uh, education in undergrad. And one thing I, I always coach young people is um, use your summers, um, especially as an undergrad. And I think it's even more important now than certainly when I was going through college. Those um, summers are very, uh, they're a way to experiment and they're a way to see or rule things out that may not be a good fit for you. And so um, for me, I, I did work one summer in a law practice um, and I ruled out that that probably was not for me, but for others that is um, the right path. And I, I found myself gravitating back towards business. Um, and I just would encourage uh, you to use, first of all, the Penn Network is a, an incredible resource for finding ways to explore either during, during the school year or the summer, um, some ways in which you can test out um, different paths that might be intriguing to you. And then talk to your professors, talk to alum. And I think that's um, that's really helpful. For me though, I, I, you know, I did use those summers. I actually even worked in a hotel at one point. I thought maybe hotel management. I, you know, I, I, I had a lot of ideas and so I, I did test them. And then at the end of it, uh, my dad ironically said to me, it's not really clear that you know exactly what you wanna do. So probably you should try consulting. And so um, I guess here we are 30 years later, I still am trying to figure out what I really wanna do, but I, I love what I do um, because I, I find that in consulting, you do get to try a lot of different things and, and no, no two days are the same. And that's a lot of fun for me. Okay, wow. And like, I just got to like give you my kudos for being an all rounder in the left brain, right brain and sports at the same time in your undergrad years, very cool. And yeah. like, Thank you. I love that whole part about like exploring and using your summers and like I'm a personal believer that you don't know like the reality of something until you're already in it, you're already trying right. it out. Right. And like um, for you at that point of time, like 
having this plan, okay, I'm going to go to law school and like, or, and then like, or I'm going to do my undergrad, go to law school, become a lawyer. And then having that experience working in a law practice and realizing maybe this isn't for me. How did you kind of like this, like, what did that, what did you do after that? In a sense, the first thing that you did, because like for many of us, we just kind of like trudge through, like I've done so much so far. And like, is it okay for me to switch? And like, even like now as a parent, like what, and we hear a lot of these stories mm -hmm. of parents who are making up their minds and then changing what they thought they would uh, be doing. And that kind of like creates a lot of chaos internally and also externally. So like your right. advice, like your experience, like switching to something new or trying new things out, how did it go for you? I think people maybe, and must, this is my perspective, um, don't get too hung up on what your major is. I mean, I think get a major that's going to be helpful to you in in the round, if you will, to what you want to do later. But, you know, I encourage, and I'll just speak as a parent, I encourage my, my oldest who's in a business program, I said, take some classes in the engineering school, like analytics, um, take some computer science classes, do some things to kind of round out your experience and don't feel like you're, you're narrowing, you're being too narrow. Don't go too deep. Again, my perspective. Um, and then, then know that I'll speak as, as somebody from Accenture. We hire people who have degrees of all sorts, um, you know, very liberal arts to engineering, to, computer science to data science to health um, degrees. Um, there's really no one answer that we're looking for. We're just looking for people who are critical thinkers, who are passionate about um, and, and intellectually curious and are going to work well in our environment. And uh, so I, I just encourage people to kind of get, take advantage of all that Penn has to offer. Um, it's so I, I I look back and I think I probably barely scratched the surface of what I could have taken advantage of there um, as a business um, student. But there there's just a lot of, of opportunities. And and if you find a, a, you're reading about a class that looks interesting to you, take it and, and you know, see what what that sparks in yourself in terms of what you might be interested in doing. Very good advice. And if you don't mind me asking, why did you decide to go in like at Penn, like go and do your MBA at Penn in the first place? You were working at Anderson Consulting, you were getting your footing. So like, what was it about Penn that made you go, all right, maybe like, let me try this out. Let me go to Wharton in a sense that like, congratulations, number one is like the MBA program, super tough yeah. to get in. So again, you must be really smart, but why in a way? So when I, I, I knew I always wanted to go back to business school and get my MBA um, because I, I'd really had a liberal arts degree and an education at Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt didn't have a business program. So the most business classes I could take was I took a basic accounting and I took economics. And so I, um, I applied to several schools and I really wanted to go to the best and that, and I wanted to go to a school that was going to close some gaps that I had and finance was one of those gaps. And then healthcare management um, certainly Penn has one of the top three programs in healthcare at the MBA level, and certainly arguably the best in finance. And so it was a really good combination for me. I, I think as, as people think about graduate school, you're looking to fill a gap that you have that's gonna help you in your professional career. And um, I would also say third, and I, I probably didn't appreciate it as much then as I do now, was the network that you get as a Wharton alum. 
And I lean on that network uh, even now, 25 years later, probably more so than I did even earlier. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of ways in which I can engage uh, people from Penn that are executives of companies or looking for board members or are my clients even. And um, it's just an incredibly strong network and, and one that I probably, as a young a younger version of me, didn't fully appreciate. So any tips for leveraging on networks? I feel like this makes sense to like anyone in a space, like anyone in any college. I feel like at times we're very focused on like living the college experience that we forget that yeah. there's the life after college that we may need some things from here to go and figure out. So any tips on leveraging on networks and kind of like getting the most out of it? Well, you just hit on it, actually. The first first best network you're going to have is your own classmates. And so engaging with your peers while you're at Penn, many who will go on to do, most of them will go on to do incredible things. And uh, your paths will cross in many ways. And um, uh, you'll be amazed at the ways in which uh, you'll you'll look back at that network, whether it's you know how you're you're going to a new city to live, and you need to you know establish some friends and networks in a new community, or through your own professional life, or eventually your personal life as you have a you know a family and and you're looking to understand schools and things like that. So your first and most important network is the one that uh, you all are building right now. And then as you go, I think, um, and I'm not as familiar with on the undergrad level, but certainly the graduate level. There's incredible forums and Penn does a great job of keeping us connected. Uh, certainly, actually this was my 25th um, uh, uh, reunion year. And so we were we had a virtual one. I think we're trying to maybe do something uh, this fall or in the spring to kind of make up for it. Cause I think it, uh, there's nothing that can replace an in-person reunion. So when you are an alum of this incredible institution, I strongly encourage you to stay engaged and certainly attend your reunions. Um, you'll 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 enjoy them immensely. All right, that that's very nice to hear, and I and I think that that like con again, congratulations the twenty five year and alum anniversary, I guess. And it's I'm hard to imagine. I, I feel like I'm still in your shoes. <laughs> Thanks. And I really do hope you guys like are able to meet up in person and all of that. That would be great like to see another like uh, more things happening now that the pandemic is over and we're opening up again. And back to your story, in a sense, how is it like leaving like Penn? Now you've got this Wharton degree, you're going into the working world. And I know many people who work like who come out of Wharton, at least at the undergrad level, and are still a little confused, like, oh, my gosh, what's my next step? So how was it like for you? You went, you continued being a senior consultant after that, if I'm not mistaken, at Anderson Consulting. How did it shape the way that you were thinking in a sense? Well, I certainly would say I felt prepared. Um, I, I think um, anybody that's graduating from Penn, undergrad or graduate, is going to feel prepared. Um, and you... Uh, just there is there are very few things that are thrown at me from a business perspective that I think, boy, I'm I'm this is out of my out of my strike zone. Or I certainly can lean on you know others or my community to figure out how to resolve that. But um, I I think um, I I felt you know I didn't I didn't feel un, unsure. I don't think, but thinking back, um, I just. I think what you're going to find, and I go back to my point about your generation, 
what I actually see now with the younger generation is a little bit akin to what I experienced in the late 90s, a couple of years after graduating from Penn, which was this explosion of the internet back then and all these new opportunities. And I think for your generation now, there is gonna be, there's another, we're hitting another one of those waves of a lot of PE backed opportunities, a lot of startups. And um, sometimes that, that was the time I actually felt some confusion, which was I kind of had this path that I was on and I actually left Accenture. It was Anderson Consulting then and the strategy practice and went to a startup. And that was a little bit of a confusing period because I was leaving what felt like a very safe place to try something that was very different and a little more risky. Uh, but I actually, again, felt confident in my ability to make that shift. And I also felt confident in my ability to go back if I wanted to or go somewhere else um, if, you know, if it didn't work out, which it did, you know, I, it was an interesting period. I watched the startup rise and fall. And uh, I think we're gonna see a lot of that, um, you know, it, it repeat, history usually repeats itself on those things. But I think that's, you know, that's what I would say your generation is gonna experience. There's just, we are in an unprecedented period of change and you're gonna be experiencing that and it's gonna create some confusion on well, should I go for more of the safe path and what seems kind of logical, or should I try something over here that's um, a little bit more risky, a little bit outside of my comfort zone? And so um, that's that's what I, I I imagine, and that's certainly what I felt a couple of years out of, of graduate school. Okay, and you did go back to Accenture, yeah, and you would continue working with it. And again, you founded so many things in Accenture alone that I think is absolutely amazing. I mentioned some earlier that you actually founded like their growth strategy practice. Uh, you had a leading role in their M and A, um, like portion of the business as well. So, how was like? Tell us about your experience, like joining in like Accenture when you first started out, and how you slowly kind of discovered which was your niche and which was the things that you were good at and wanted to expand more on. So in, in consulting and in many companies, um, a lot of your success is back to, and I'm going to, I sound like a broken record, but it's your network. I mean, it really is. And that's one of the things I think is important when you come out is having that skill to know how to align yourself with good people that you enjoy working with, and that enjoy working with you and they tend to kind of bring you along. Um, I I was not, when I came out, um, you know, Accenture is a place where we don't you know, define industry right away. You know, we give people a chance to kind of try a number of things and then figure out where they wanna, you know, focus from an industry perspective or a functional perspective. And so I, I did that, um, but very quickly found myself gravitating towards the people who I enjoyed working with were in healthcare and I found the work very rewarding. And so that's a little bit of how um, I found myself, you know, you know, working in health and working on really interesting strategic topics. Now the, the move to M and A is an interesting one because that was when I actually came back from the startup. Um, this was uh, early 2001. Uh, there was the the economy was softening again and the startups, a lot of them that had risen were starting to collapse. And uh, I came 
running back to Accenture and the opportunity I had, I, I had, a, I, my first daughter was born by this point. And uh, so she was young and I, I didn't want to get back on the road quite right yet. I wanted to focus on, you know, trying to balance family and uh, my work life and uh, an opportunity presented itself to help get our M&A practice um, off the ground. And I had never done M&A, but I had gone to Wharton and I was confident in my skills and my capabilities. And I, I, I thought I could figure it out. And it turned into an incredible run. Um, I ended up working on some of the most significant mergers of that time. Um, the deals I was working on were on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. And um, I'm really grateful. And I was, but again, I was surrounded by a network of really talented people. And so where I had gaps, I had people to go to, to help me fill in those gaps. And that was really important. Yeah, but I feel like that is like the highlight of like so many successful careers. And that's amazing that you actually brought that up because again, it's something that we, it's easy to overlook if you don't even realize that the people you surround yourself with and all of that. But just kind of like zooming in on that, like I know you had an amazing team and you had like probably the most brilliant people around you, but it's still such an impressive like feat to actually have be like the lead of such an amazing project and like as you said, oversee some of their largest M&A and acquisitions. So how did you, like, as a person who set up or was one of the founding people involved in, um, in that beginning period of time, actually bring the team together and actually bring those around you towards, like, creating this, um, these M&A practices that actually would, like, until now continue on in a sense? Well, I think this gets to kind of leadership qualities and, and um, there's a... There's a speaker, Simon Sinek. I don't know if you have all ever read Simon Sinek. He does a bunch of YouTubes and podcasts, and I'd encourage you to look him up. And I'm a big fan. And he he has a very simple framework, which is um, start with why, and it's kind of why we exist. And um, and I always believe that defining why we exist um, as a a practice or a company um, is so important because. That inspire, you know, you've got to get people that are inspired by that. Why we, you know, why we are who we are, um, and and what the the people that are required to enable that why. And so I, you know, with the M and A practice, we set out really clearly the why we existed was to help the most transformative mergers in in any industry be successful and um, and assembling the most you know, talented team to do that, that represented people with deep industry experience, um, deep functional experience and an, an uh, ability to understand the construct of how you successfully do M&A. And when you put different pieces together, it, you know, it all works really effectively. Okay. Very cool. And how, like, from there, in a sense, being a leader in this team, like, again, doing deals that come out on, like, magazines and all of that, amazing things. But how do you later find, like, that shift back into the health, more specifically healthcare industry? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. here you are working on, like, a lot of high-tech m and and a lot of, like, telecommunications m and And healthcare was a part of it, but how do you really transition back into the healthcare uh, sector specifically? Or, like, why or so? It found me again. It found me again. I did start to get pretty... You know, I was actually working on some life sciences mergers too, but um, 
uh, a partner who I had worked with over the years. And again, this all comes back to who's in your network and who's looking out for you. Um, gave me a call and said, we have a really significant opportunity to help uh, a big client that's trying to figure out um, their health strategy. And it's actually, it was a, a pharmacy retailer. Um, and I, he said, do you, do you want to get back into healthcare? And I said, sure, this sounds really exciting. It was board level work. And um, that, that got me back. That was 2008, 2009 timeframe. And, uh, and then I, you know, reignited my passion for health and which I really hadn't lost, but I just was taking this little journey, which in hindsight, I'm glad I did. You know, I, I am a big believer that things happen for a reason. And that journey helped me understand what's now and prepared me for what's now happening in healthcare and the massive transformation that's happening in our industry. And uh, so I, you know, I got myself back into healthcare. And then in uh, 2017, I was asked to start taking on leadership roles for our practice. And, and that's kind of starting with um, help, helping lead our public sector and, and health uh, consulting business. And then I helped with our, you know, turn around our hospital business. And now I run all of North America for health. So um, things happen for a reason. And uh, I believe that tap on the shoulder I got back in 2009 um, was, a, was an important one. Okay. And like, as you were like growing in the healthcare space, um, as you said, you started because someone just called in, hey, do you want to work on this one project? And all. was there any moment where it clicked you like, oh, I'm doing something that I really love right now. And like, this is what I want to continue doing. Or is it just like a gradual thing that you lean in on? Like, kind of like from our point of view, is it like, is discovering passion, like something that you do through the work and you actually realize that? Or is it something that you get struck by lightning and you go, oh my gosh, this is the aha moment in a sense? For me, and um, loving what you do is about loving who you work with, and that's really important because if you don't like who you work with, the other stuff really doesn't matter. I mean, it's really hard to just be passionate about the work and not enjoying the people you work with. And so in, in consulting, we're very team-based, and so the people that you're shoulder to shoulder with is, is really, really important even in this virtual world and hopefully we'll get back to being face to face um, in a more material way soon, because that's truly part of the secret sauce of what we do. Certainly at Accenture is the camaraderie that happens with the people you work with. Second is um, healthcare to me has always been interesting because it's about helping people and it's about probably the most personal thing for all of us, which is our health and our well-being. And without health and well-being, your own health, a lot of things are much more challenging. And, um, you know, we are in the United States, we have a lot of work to do on making healthcare more accessible, um, uh, more effective, and, um, you know, a better experience for all of us. Uh, we are seeing the, and, and certainly the, the warts of our industry have come to light for everybody, if you're in the industry or not, um, over the past year and a half. And uh, we have a lot of work to do. Um, we have a lot of work to do to figure out how to make it so that if I want to be seen by a doctor in their office or over my computer or over my iPhone, um, I, we can make that happen. So I've always, so healthcare is one industry that I really feel um, 
is about humans. And it's, it's a very, you know, it's, it's about people caring for people at the end of the day. And then, you know, the other aspect of why I love what I do is just the nature of the work, regardless of industry. Consulting is interesting to me because it's taking, when a client comes to you with a, um, a project, it's because they've, they've struggled to deal with it, address it themselves. And so they're usually complex questions, complex strategic issues, complex problems that they need outside help to address. And so there are very few projects that come across our desks that are ho-hum, not interesting. They're, they're very interesting projects and um, really challenge your thinking. And so that's where the intellectual curiosity and why I like what I do is because um, I'm challenged every day. And I think that that's a very good formula for us to like really think about how much we love what we do and like really applying that. And like you also mentioned, like the first point was the people around you. And often, like again, a big environment, a big believer in the environment you surround yourself with. So agreed. But like, how do you like you? You aren't always fully in control of those in your surroundings. So there, I feel like in every organization, there's people that you work better with at times. There's people who um, maybe there's a little bit more friction when you work with mm -hmm. them. So for those cases when like you and consulting is a very team based thing, as you mm -hmm. mentioned. So when you don't always see eye to eye with the people in your team and you don't always uh, maybe have the best uh, team in place, how do you still be able to focus on that goal at hand and bring everyone's different perspectives in a cohesive way that actually solves the problem at hand? I'll go back to the why. So you start with the why we're, we're on, you know, what, why the client has hired us, what we're, what we're trying to do. Um, and then the the point that you you had in that question, which is you've got to make sure everybody's voice is heard. And I think we're learning a lot about uh, you know the last year has been very important in terms of recognizing and appreciating diverse thoughts, diverse perspectives, diverse experiences. And so one of the things I challenge my teams is part of our uh, differentiation is how we bring a diverse team uh, to our clients. And that's not just diversity in terms of cultural diversity, it's diversity in so many ways. Um, and people who've got diverse industry experiences, diverse perspectives to, uh, come from diverse parts of the world. And um, that's what makes us interesting and makes it interesting. Uh, in forming a team. Um, and there are certainly tensions. I think my job as a leader is to find ways to make that tension into a healthy tension um, and one that drives, um, you know, good results. Okay. Healthy tension. Like, can you tell us any stories of how like you managed to do that in a way for all of us aspiring leaders? Like many of us can't even lead a group project. So to hear something like on your scale, how do you actually take like, like, friction and turn it into healthy tension? How have you done it before in a sense? Well, I always try to make sure that, again, is everybody clear that on what our objectives are? Start there and, you know, what the question is we're trying to address. And then, um, you know, I think it's uh, encouraging people to be good listeners. Um, I think a lot of times tension comes because people aren't really listening, listening with intention to listen to others. And, um, 
Oh boy, I'm trying to think of, there were a lot of, you know, I can even think back to Wharton. Uh, when I was a Wharton, it was one of the early, uh, they were piloting the, the learning teams. And so this was really back, you know, this was in the 90s. And the team-based approach uh, to learning was really taking hold. And I had the most fascinating team. My team was made up of me as a consultant. I had an investment banker. I had a veterinarian. I had a physician. I had a lobbyist and I had an actuary. That's and it's a very diverse ten team. And there was tension. But, you know, I think um, and there was a lot of shouldering and, and everybody's under pressure. because So, you know, that does create tension. But one thing we often did was we would find time to go get coffee together, to go do something that kind of got us to know each other more on a personal level. So we'd socialize, honestly. Um, and if you have that relationship outside of the confines of, oh my gosh, we have a project, we have a deadline, there's, you know, tension and Carl didn't do his part and, um, you know, Jane didn't do her, you know, is is making this more complicated than it needs to. If you can find some time when when you're not in the in in those stressful moments to have a build a relationship, you find yourself working through um, those in a much more uh, seamless way. Okay. So go for a walk with your team, go get a cup of coffee at Starbucks, um, whatever it is, go, go climb the, the steps at the art museum together, do something and uh, find a way to build a relationship on a more human level. Okay. And I like how this kind of like ties back to the thing that you mentioned earlier when I asked about networking, that it's about building that relationship, just having those friends and kind of like letting it happen naturally. And I feel like um, sometimes you've got to, I, like it doesn't come naturally under that high stress of so kind of like taking the effort to kind of like bring building relationships to the front yeah. of our mind is important. And how has that changed like in an organization now with the pandemic? I mean, like I haven't seen some of the people that I, I've actually, the new people that we've started working with in my own startup, I've actually never met them in person, but like uh, there's always that element of like building that relationship. And also how has it been for you in a sense? It's real. I, I do. I, I empathize with, with uh, you all on that because it is hard. And I am I know you're all eager to find ways to create those connections. Um, you know, I think everybody's probably, you know, I don't know how the age of people on this call, but uh, we've done a lot of virtual happy hours and I think people are spent on those and finding ways, uh, you know, to do virtual cooking and things like that, which has been fine, but um, people are very eager to get back together in any way. Um, and so we've been looking for opportunities to even do things outside to, to reconnect. Um, but I, I know that my boss actually has done a couple of things. Um, we've hired an outside firm actually to help us do some team bonding through even virtual. And it again is just, it comes down to knowing people a little bit more on a personal level. Um, and if you understand somebody uh, a little bit about what makes them tick outside of the, you know, school or work, um, you, you'll find some commonalities that you can build on. And so those commonalities might be, you know, I have a colleague that I didn't know very well, but we both have children at school in California. And so we, you know, we, we love to chat about that. Or it could be a common passion around baseball or a common passion around some, you know, biking or hiking, um, a vacation that somebody took. And um, those become great ways to 
just have a much more human to human conversation and work through um, issues. And it sounds a little bit simplistic and your your audience might be thinking, she's just telling us to be more social. And I'm not I'm, I'm telling you that um, we the human connection is so important. And I think we're going to sadly learn how important that connection is in the years to follow. And the, the, the price of all of this being, you know, alone uh, in our apartments or uh, and, and human connections are a really important um, aspect of what makes us all thrive, frankly. Yeah, yeah. And like speaking about human connections, you are an industry that, again, like is so centered around human connections. But I feel at times like or at least prior to the pandemic, it's something that we seldom think about. So like no offense. I'm so sorry. But like I've, I'm definitely thinking the last two years, there's been a lot more attention on healthcare and how the healthcare industry is than there has been like at least for the time before that for a little while. And I think that's a pretty good thing because again, your health is like literally one of the very basic parts of you. If you're yeah. if you can't if you're not a healthy person, then you probably can't even leave your house if you were allowed to. So it's like it is something that is like important for us to prioritize. But how do you feel like the perceptions about this industry has changed in the last two years? His like I would assume that it's something drastic and that everyone's been thinking about it. But from your point of view, from someone inside the industry, what has changed in a way from the way people view it? Well, health is now everybody's business. Um, what you know, uh, many of your audience probably thought, okay, I you know I have to go get my annual physical, and really didn't think that much about healthcare. And now you're all acutely aware of the role healthcare plays and um, some of the deficiencies that we have. The deficiencies of talent of clinicians and nurses. Um, I think we're all about to see a massive you know, shift and availability of people to care for those in need. And you've also seen, you know, some of the um, aspects of the fact that prior to the pandemic, only 7% of healthcare visits were done virtually. You know, you, many doctors did not have the ability to do a call like we're doing or a Zoom call with their patients. And that skyrocketed. And now, you know, at the height of the pandemic, it was well over 50% of the visits were happening that way. So I think um, it has shot the inefficiencies of our system to, you know, brought it to light for, for so many. And, you know, you have to realize healthcare accounts for almost 20% of GDP. It's a huge cost weight uh, on this country. And, um, we have to figure out ways to make it sustainable because we're, you know, the baby boomers are all retiring. Uh, and then we've got this wave of, you know, pandemics and other things that are, um, and I, I, I think mental health coming to follow, sadly, is the next wave we'll have, uh, the next curve will have to flatten. And uh, we have to have models that are going to be sustainable through that, the weight of the demand that's coming. Yeah, and you also do, like I read this article that you wrote about this latest statistics by Accenture of how even like prior to the 60% of, I think, um, all people who have been getting healthcare during this kind of time want to continue to use technology more for their healthcare. Mm -hmm. And like nine out of 10 of them said that the quality of care was as good or better than before COVID-19, which is very right. interesting because again, um, 
I feel like we're like the general day-to-day healthcare used to be very routine, like you're sick, go see a doctor. And then now it's just been completely disrupted. And it is something that I feel people are now much more receptive to. So like and I and I heard you kind of like tie that back to your uh story about like when you were younger working in the clinic and seeing how those two yeah. kind of like touched link to it so yeah. in this era where everything seems to be getting a little bit more distant do you feel that this whole mobile care and this whole uh, bringing like technology and integrating it with the uh, virtual care is going to make us more or less connected in a sense so actually the statement i made and i think you're referencing i was um interviewed by the economist and i said and i used the story of my grandfather who truly was a small town physician and he used to do house calls, which many in your audience might not even know what, remember what that was, but that was when doctors in the middle of the night, the phone would ring and he would go tend to his patients if he had to, or go deliver a baby. Um, but he would he would go to people's homes if he was needed to, uh, if they couldn't get to the hospital because um, of the distance. And I said, technology is enabling house calls to be a reality again. And I think it's certainly here to stay. I don't think it's going to stay at over 50% and using virtual means, but I think, uh, you know, it's going to settle in at a third of the visits are going to be um, done virtually. And then we have, you know, so you'll have that from the, you know, and I suspect everybody on this call has probably engaged in with health, uh, over some using technology for their own healthcare in the last two years. And maybe before that they hadn't, um, we're seeing a lot of opportunities for, um, remote monitoring and using technology to monitor patients, uh, people who have chronic conditions and need to use an app to manage, say, diabetes, um, elder or senior citizens who um, can use remote monitoring as a way to manage their care in their home. So I think um, we are seeing all kinds of innovation. Um, I think we're going to see more innovation in hospitals with using um, robotics and um, uh machine learning and all kinds of things as a way to make greater efficiencies. Um, but back to your question about the human aspect of it, we, we have to find that balance and we talk a lot about that. We can't, healthcare will not succeed if it's all about technology. And um, we actually just at Accenture, and, I, and then this isn't, a, I'm not trying to have this be a commercial about Accenture, but we just rolled out something called humanizing healthcare. And it's about balancing the innovation that comes from, and, and the importance of human interactions with the power of technology. So technology should be an enabler. Technology should not be the front, in the front. Technology should enable it so clinicians and humans can spend more time with their patients and giving them more personal attention. Because I think in that study, you also found that um, people are more uh, apt to change clinicians now. They're more, um, there's a higher turnover in their clinician. They have higher expectations. And one of the things that is top of mind is the amount of the quality of the interaction they have with the clinician. And is that clinician empathetic? Is that clinician really listening um, and, and, and focused on solving their problem? It's hard when a clinician is spending all their time filling out, you know, charts in a system on a computer to get that uh, emotive reaction from a patient. 
Okay, that's a good point. You raised a good point. So I see that enablement factor of technology to actually help that um, bring house calls back, as you said in your own words. And yeah. I and I think that, that is like a future that I look forward to, where hopefully I would even have a holographic doctor out of Star Trek to help out whenever I need. But I definitely see a lot of innovation coming. Where do you see like things headed now? I, in the next couple of years. We're in this time where hopefully with the vaccines being more and more um, available, we see a drop in cases and hopefully eventually things might go back to normal in let's say at least a year or so from now. So do you think everyone will go back to their old ways or do you think that we will enter this new world and how is that new world of healthcare and technology and the human touch gonna be like in the years coming forward? Well, I, I think we will go back to some form of normal. Um, I don't think it will be back to the, it, 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 we, will con we will be evolving and we will learn from this period of time. I think the way in which people work has forever changed. Um, we talked about the future of work. I think um, certainly in consulting, which used to be a high travel career, I don't envision anytime soon, um, at least before I retire, that we will be back on the road at the level we were. I think we figured out we can engage our clients from our home office and um, using technology. And so um, we'll engage, have, have hybrid models. I envision that. Um, from a education perspective, I'm fascinated to see where this is gonna go. Um, I think your audience would probably say um, they prefer to be in, in the classroom rather than over Zoom, at least my um, uh, sample size of two at my house. Was, <laughs> Uh, they were worn out from being on Zoom for so so long and are really enjoying being black, back in a classroom. But with that said, I think there is opportunities for, could you possibly take a class? Could uh, a Penn student take a class at say Stanford or UCLA and you know that they want to and maybe do that um, through using technology? I, I can envision some of that, but I, I don't want it to be at the expense of what we've been kind of the theme here has been is human interaction. We can't we can't let technology get too far in front of us. Um, it's not healthy, um, and it's not conducive to how we all get inspired. Honestly, you know, uh, and teams. I think you know we talked about the storming and norming of teams, but there's a saying that the sum of the parts is greater than the individual part. You know that when you have a team, even if there is storming the the ideas that come out in that process evolve everybody's thinking and gets you to a better answer and so i um i hope we don't i hope we keep be mindful of the good things that we've learned from this i think we've also learned um the importance of uh you know a close-knit network whether that's your family or loved ones um we've spent a lot of time with our family and loved ones i think in the last year um, I've certainly, but I'm, I'm biased. I'm mom. Uh, I've enjoyed it. And, uh, but, uh, you know, how, you, what do we take away from that um, in terms of how we look ahead? I, I do hope, though, we are getting back to some semblance of, of normal, uh, whatever normal may be here pretty soon. Whatever normal may be, okay. That's the new question. It's not, are we going back to normal? It's what will normal be? So I think that, all right, that's a... Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, look, I, I I was up in the Northeast. I was on uh, up in New England with my family and, and 
you know, people were outside and people were interacting and you could see the joy. Everybody, I said, I said, everybody is being so friendly in the New England. We live in Atlanta and it was fun to see. I said, everybody is, you could just see hungry to get out. We spent some time in New York and just uh, you can tell everybody is just hungry for that um, interaction again. Yep, I can imagine. I I now cherish every trip I have, like in a car, because I'm just like, oh my gosh! Like even to the grocery store, it's it's like I'm extra yeah. excited about like going on to the outside yeah. world, like yeah. even if it's a couple of blocks. So I I really see that, and maybe we could just wind down the conversation by a little bit on like how it's the pandemic's been for you as someone who working it from home. You've got mm -hmm. kids who are at home. Um, and a lot of people who, like, I've, I've been at home with my family, and I think I've been driving my mom absolutely mad, even though I'm a college-age student. So there is a balance to be found. So yeah. like, how has it been for you working from home? And, like, um, is this something that you look forward to? Again, consulting is something, as you mentioned, that you normally do on-site with clients. And, like, yes, now we, we can meet more people in a day. But do you miss, like, going on on the road and all of that? And do you see and how do you picture your consulting industry as well? Like, you mentioned the hybrid model. What can we expect in a sense? Yeah. Well, so for me, I've had 30 years of being on the road. So it was, you know... <laughs> I'm okay. I was okay spending a little bit more time at home, but then I do find myself chomping at the bit a little bit to get out, see my people, see our teams. Um, that um, there's something very rewarding about going to a place. It's fun too to see new cities and engage and and see up close what we're doing. So I certainly, um, you know, it would it had its. Uh, mixed blessings, if you will, for me. I mean, I, I certainly loved being home and knowing my family was safe and that we were all together. And um, I think maybe I became a little bit better cook. I, I don't know. We'll have to ask my family on that one, but I, I certainly did a lot more of that. Um, I think um, it also, you know, challenged all of us to think about our own well-being. You know, um, I do think one of the challenges of working from home for long periods of time is just, finding ways to get out, walk around, uh, get some mental breaks um, and uh, find some ways to connect um, outside of the little cocoon that we have at home. Um, and uh, I will tell you at the height of it all, uh, it was quite challenging. We had um, two dogs, you know, two kids, two, two college age kids and my husband and I both working. And so we certainly not the dogs, but we certainly put some pressure on our technology infrastructure at home. Fortunately, just before the pandemic, I'd had a network upgrade. So, um, you know, it would, but when we had everybody kind of zooming in, uh, it was quite challenging. But I think um, as we look ahead, uh, I just think I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm much more grateful for things. And I think we all have to be very grateful for those opportunities to engage with our friends and take the chance to go to class. I, I know just my, I, in talking to my own children, they're just so, they, they haven't been, my oldest who is in, in California in school, hadn't been touched, hadn't stepped foot on campus in a year and a half. And so, and same for you all. And uh, just so grateful to see faces that she hadn't seen in a year and a half that she used to see every day. So okay. She's very grateful, I think, for all of that. Yeah, yeah, but I feel we'll be seeing more grateful people soon on that matter. You I think, think I think you will. I think you will. And grateful for the opportunity that um, affords itself for the learning that you're getting 
uh, in person and, and the great opportunities that you have at Penn. Thank you. And like, hopefully I'll be on campus soon so that I could take the most so get out of your mother. Yes. Out of your mother's hair. Although I'm sure she, yeah. that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm sure you, I'm sure you'd both have a lot to talk about in that. But anyway, um, it's really been nice talking to you. And like, I'm so sad that our interview is winding down and like, we probably have to wrap up. So but I have one last question in a sense. Sure. You are someone who I, I really enjoy this conversation because again, it's the human connection that makes the world turn around. That's always been something that I believe in. And I see that in like, in the way that you work with your team, in the way that you talk about your kids, in the way that you you are managing director of this whole healthcare industry and a leading company. I think Accenture was uh, known for, like as an industry leader in healthcare under your guidance in a way. So definitely someone we should listen to. So what can what is one thing we can all do like right now in this time where, um, where some of us are at home, some of us are not, some of us are virtual, some of us are back on campus or wherever we are. What is one thing that we can all do or take away to improve the connections that we have? What do you think is one thing we often forget to do to appreciate the people around us, to really um, strengthen those connections that we should be doing? Reach out, find some time to reach out, um, you know, make budget time in your day to, reconnect with some people. I actually think my husband's probably even better than I am at this. He's, he's masterful. He, he runs his own company. So, um, but he just, just reach out and check in on people. Um, believe it or not, a simple how, and that was actually something that I learned in this, um, when my uh, uh, boss had this third party firm, just how are you doing? Harsha, how are you actually, how are you really doing? And with sincerity, um, I think people, really will appreciate that because um, I think what happens now and, and certainly in more of a virtual world is we all get on these calls or these Zoom uh, conversations and it's, how are you? How was your weekend? Oh, good, fine, you know. But do you ever just kind of say, no, really, how how are you doing? Any, you know, and, and find out what's really happening um, a little bit below the surface for somebody. Um, and you might find out something interesting um, positively or negatively, and uh, but certainly you'll make a, a, a connection that is meaningful. And I think we need more meaningful connections right now. Absolutely brilliant and something that we can all do. So yeah. I'll go budget some time for that and I hope our audience does too. But thank you so much for this conversation. I personally just love talking to you. So thank you for joining us once again. And I hope you had as much fun as I did. I did. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. And with that, I think we'll wrap up today's episode of Changing Reality. Thank you to our lovely audience as well for joining us today. And with that, I'll see you guys next Thursday again at 10 here on WQHS Radio. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.